Kirsten Murphy, lovely to speak to you again. This is part four of us unlocking the treasures, the absolute tre treasure trove of well-researched information that is in your letter to the 120 MPs of the New Zealand Parliament, including, of course, to our Prime Minister, to which still, Kirsten, have you had zero replies from any of our elected representatives? Or tell me, have you had one letter? One from 120? As of half an hour ago, there was nothing. So shocking. This is a woman who on her own time, her own dime, has researched the information that all Kiwis want to know. So let's get into it. This part, um, the, the fourth part, also involves pregnancy and what was known about pregnancy and fertility. So I'm going to cut here to a cut that has just come in from overseas from the great Naomi Wolf. Let's have a listen. A Pfizer adverse events document released by the FDA. So again, like misinformation, this is our government releasing this information under court order, right? Process that. This is this is your tax dollars paying for the release of this information. Reveals, and this is on July 1st, 2022, due to this court order, right? Reveals chilling data showing 44% of pregnant women participating in Pfizer's mRNA COVID vaccine trial suffered miscarriages. And there's the link. All right, a section of the document on page 3643 called Listing of Subjects Reporting Pregnancy After Dose 1 shows that 50 women became pregnant during the internal trial. However, one must dig through the rest of the large document, and this is why I worship and love these volunteers, they are doing that, right, to learn that 22 of these 50 women who got pregnant suffered, quote, abortion spontaneous, end quote, quote, abortion spontaneous complete, end quote, which means a miscarriage, quote, abortion spontaneous incomplete, uh, end quote, or, quote, miscarriage. So this means losing your baby when you don't want to. It doesn't mean going to an abortionist. It means you're gestating a perfectly normal, healthy baby as far as anyone knows, and you lose that baby. The adverse events report cutoff date was March 13th, 2021. And this will blow your mind. And the FDA received the report from Pfizer on April 1st, 2021. So guys, that was, I'm sorry, but that was over a year ago. Okay, Kirsten, we'll come back to that uh, in a moment, but we're going to start with Section 51, above which is the heading, is the government lying or guessing? That's here in New Zealand. In 51, you say an article in Stuff by academic Dr. Ben Gray tells, quote, startling truths about Big Pharma and the corrupted FDA. Tell us about this paragraph and why it's so important in your mind. Well, we seem to have just followed the FDA lockstep without much questioning at all. So in terms of are we going to roll out to children, like the younger children under five, like the FDA has approved over in the US, even though that they we know that they're using, and this is going to be fun to pronounce, methamine in the child vaccination, which is different from the adult vaccination. So there's two possible explanations for that. And one, it might be to do with storage. So has something changed with the vaccine that it needs to be stored differently? Or secondly, it might be to do with reducing blood clots. So in my January letter to Parliament, I asked that question and I actually said, please could you provide me with an answer in a sworn affidavit? If you're not prepared to swear an affidavit, then please explain why. I, 
when I when I was researching at the beginning of this year and I I I picked up on that possibility, that second possibility that because because this jab has been implicated in blood clotting in adults, that they could even contemplate that anyone could be so inhumane and unethical as to think of putting in what's a, a sort of blood thinner, if you like, to stop the clotting in children. Why would they do that? That's the question you come up against when you when you look at the research and the and the overseas questions. And I went, but that would that would mean that the heart attacks in children wouldn't show up straight away. And then my brain just short-circuited, Kirsten. I, I went, no adults would be that cruel, that irresponsible, that devious, that corrupt, morally, ethically, in every way. But there is that possibility. We're asking that question. Is we asked that question seven months ago. My God. And you've had silence to that no question. Answer. Yeah. I mean, would Jacinda Ardern, like her child, to have something that would thin the blood so that clots that might show up later on in the child's life wouldn't show up immediately and be, be a, attached to the jab. Would this prime minister do that How to her own child? Any parent give informed consent unless we know the answer to that question. It's horrifying. You say Dr. Ben Gray says our MedSafe could never behave like that, like the corrupted FDA. That's in this article, which is in footnote 31. Everything's footnoted. Everything's covered off in Kirsten's letter. There are no claims that you can't follow through on this letter with references. So footnote 31, um, the stuff article is headlined, MedSafe's accountability to us is a reason we trust it over FDA in America, over the FDA. He says the FDA in New Zealand would never do this because it's accountable to parliament. Do you agree with Dr. Ben Gray's wonderful optimism? I would love to have a conversation with him about that and have a debate about it. Um, the reason being is when I first started looking at this vaccine, it was to do with my husband. And from another document I did very early last year, um, it said the safety of the vaccine has not been assessed in immune-compromised individuals. But yet they were telling us from the very start that people like my husband should be having it and same with pregnant women. So how can MedSafe make these claims? How can Jacinda stand there on TV, Bloomfield, et cetera, when it's very clear in black and white and that's straight from the MedSafe um, website? My God. And the trouble is it's clear too that MedSafe has simply followed America's FDA which is now known to have corrupted non-scientific information on it, has followed FDA's approval process lockstep. We've done exactly what America has done. So you ask in the final question on 51, will MedSafe follow the FDA's decision and rubber stamp Pfizer's clinical trial in inverted commas of babies and preschoolers? In other words, in New Zealand. I what really could that hope mean? not. I really hope not. It's time for these politicians to step up and ask some questions. As I said, they may not know the information, but they've got a duty to ask these questions for the safety of our, our babies. Of our babies. And I remember you saying in part three, you know, one of the reasons, Liz, I did it was my husband with his compromised immune system. But the other reason was our children 
there is no responsible New Zealand adult who wouldn't stand up now and say, this government is a group of politicians. Politicians are known to lie. We know that in the past, politicians have lied. Every parent now must be fastidious and read this letter of Kirsten's and start to ask questions. Because my question is, can we rely on truth-telling from our government? And that's a question I simply cannot unequivocally say yes to. I can't. I've got a moral duty to my son, um, to my grandchildren, and I just, I cannot rest at night until these questions have been answered. I was literally hunted down um, last year for my son who has special needs. They rang me at my work. I've never given my work number to the hospital, so they managed to track me down. I recorded the phone call with her permission to record it. Um, she couldn't answer many of my questions. She didn't know what vaccine associated to Hunt's disease was. She did admit that myocarditis was a risk. And I just wanted to know, my son was put on a list. And I just found that absolutely offensive that he'd been put on a list and I'd been tracked down. That is, and he has some level of disability and, and you think that that was to do with the list that he was on? Is that is that something you Yes, um, she couldn't quite explain. Um, and then it was for the fact that because he has special needs, that he'd need assistance with getting the vaccine. So not whether I wanted it or didn't want it, it was about getting the assistance for him. She couldn't answer many of my questions. She was actually quite upset by the end of the phone call and I did feel a bit sorry for her. But at the end of the day, if she says that she can answer my questions, I mean, she just obviously rang the wrong person that day and didn't realise I knew more than she did. You wouldn't believe how many parents of, of teenagers and 20-somethings have said it's as if they were hunting down the young. That, that phrase, hunting, hunting them. You know, they're young, let's go for them. And hunting down implies too, for me, you know, phone call after phone call after phone call to which the parent keeps saying no or the, or the teen or 20-something has said no repeatedly and yet the phone calls keep coming. It I believe it was one of our politicians that used the word hunted. I'm pretty sure I recall who it was, but I won't say the name because I'm not 100% sure. But that word was used. Let's move on. These questions are crucial. Question, paragraph 52. The government, you write, has stated that the vaccine is safe for the immune compromised and the pregnant. And now read the second part of that. Despite what? Despite the lack of data from Pfizer. However, Pfizer's documents do not support such claims, just as the example I gave you before. It's so what's going on? What's going on? So we've got Pfizer's documents saying, no, it's not 100% certain that it's okay for immune compromised or for the pregnant. And we've got our New Zealand government saying, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine, go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, that alone, you know, that could almost be the whole interview. That could almost be everything. That alone should be stopping the whole rollout, stopping all the ads, calling a full, to me, paragraph 52 is enough for a full inquiry now, a royal commission of inquiry into the whole thing. One paragraph from your letter, and we've got 70 five or 76 paragraphs to go, yeah. it's extraordinary. But even with the immune compromised, how can they say it's safe and effective when they don't even know how it's going to interact with different medication? Like with my husband being on a trial, they were trialing different medications. I'm pretty sure they probably didn't test it with the Pfizer vaccine. So why was he being pushed as well? 
he was just very lucky that health professionals alerted him to some facts. Um, obviously, a wife like me, and he has chosen not to take it. And that's the thing, the the, the cocktail of mixtures, the, this mixture that you can get with all this material assaulting the body. If you don't test each one with the, the, the combination within the Pfizer jab, and let's face that, no doctor in New Zealand knows what's exactly what's in that jab because Pfizer doesn't release it. Well, it's, we don't know two of the ingredients, the two patented ingredients. It's Russian roulette within it's the body. Right. But the worst thing is I've actually got an OIA from the government saying that they don't even hold the material data safety sheets for those two patented um, ingredients that we don't know. That's an official information application you put in and the government had to, oh, had to give uh, it back. A friend of mine put it in and we have that in writing. Paragraph 53. For example, the government has claimed and promoted that the vaccine is safe for use during pregnancies. However, you say the data sheet states the following. And what does that data sheet state? There is limited experience of comorbidity in pregnant women. Animal studies do not indicate direct or indirect harmful effects with respect to pregnancy. The administration of the vaccine in pregnancy should only be considered when the potential benefits outweigh any potential risks for the mother and fetus, which I find really concerning because we have another OIA saying that the government didn't even do a, a sort of risk-benefit assessment in the initial stages anyway. And also we spoke about Dr. Burdell's um, concerns about the one of the animal studies, and there's been very few animal studies, and he raised how dangerous it can be from breastfeeding a vaccinated mother to breastfeeding so when you're actually pregnant and you've got that baby in your stomach what are the consequences this this is where it, it gets it gets um deeply painful deeply painful because if a society doesn't protect its pregnant mm. mothers that's the future of that society and we, it seems there just is not the, the evidence and the data here to support what's been done. Well, we all know when we're pregnant, you don't eat blue cheese, like you don't eat cold meats, like you're so careful. So you're putting in something that doesn't even have full approval, doesn't have the animal studies into your body. And to lose a baby is just absolutely devastating. And as we said in part three, when, when we were alluding to some of this, all of us know I, know, I know people who've had stillbirths, who've had miscarriages since this rollout. We have to now look around each of us in our own social grouping and say, do I, do I, have I noticed an uptick uh, in the numbers of those happening around me? Ask those questions. 54, you say pregnant women were withdrawn from the trial due to Pfizer's own clinical protocol. Could you elaborate on this? Oh, I just, I can't even understand this. So out of the 270 pregnancies, they didn't have any outcomes recorded 238 of those pregnancies. So what were the outcomes for those pregnancies and why not? And how could, again, if, if you were in government or if I were in government and I saw that in the material coming in on an experimental product from a big pharmaceutical company 
salivating at the profits it's, a, it's about to make. Wouldn't you, as a responsible government member, say, I'm sorry, but I'm not happy about the invisibility of pregnant women in your trial and what happened to those other women? And we are not rolling out anything to anybody, let alone pregnant New Zealanders, until oh, we have satisfying answers. I mean, when the table is headed up, description of missing information. I, I, I'm, I keep being rendered quite speechless. I want to sit with each of these things. And, and I hope people who are watching this do and think, my God, how, how could this government have gone along with this? And as I said, even if they didn't know at the start, give them the benefit of the doubt, they know now. So they know that there's lots of risks. There is risk for pregnant women. There's risk of dying. There's risk of bowel palsy. There's the risk of the 1P36 deletion syndrome. And along with those other 1,200. So shouldn't they now review their decision? Mm. A friend of mine, Kirsten, was out all day yesterday working on the land with someone and they had the radio on and he came home and said, all day long, all day, every hour, there were ads, get your jabs, get your jabs, get your jabs. Exactly. Those are coming from this government. They're paid for from this government. I found the OIA that we're talking about the other day where in last year up to, I think it was the 31st of March this year, 35 million in advertising. So in a pandemic that is so deadly, why are they having to spend so much of our hard-earned taxpayers' dollars to promote this vaccine where Pfizer is earning billions and billions of dollars? Why isn't Pfizer doing the advertising? Mm. Why are we paying for it? And have you ever heard of it being okay to advertise medical procedures, medicines? I know in America they do it. We all know they're a mad society that's been taken over by big corporates, particularly big pharma corporates, big pharmaceutical corporates. Mm. And it's created insanity there. Let's go. I mean, you know, if, if you question that, the shootings, many people say drugs and pharmaceutical medicines are implicated in the vast numbers of shootings over there. So I'll leave that with you. But why are they advertising here when they know that the data is not backing up the claims? All right, paragraph 55, addressing each member of parliament, you, you say a really personal message to them. So read that out for us. As a member of parliament, you have a duty to ask the government why it recommended the vaccine to pregnant women. And if there has been an increase in stillbirths, and miscarriages since the start of the vaccine program. A declining birth rate, as is being reported in multiple vaccinated countries. That takes us back to Naomi Wolf, to her call out. It's a crucial, it's a crucial series of questions there. Um, that's paragraph 55, every mother who is thinking about having another child or any grandmother who's trying to talk to her child about um, her child planning pregnancy, go to Kirsten's letter, read out paragraph 55. And I think I'd also like to make the point, so people might still say, but, you know, the government wouldn't lie to us. We believe the government, and that's fine. But in terms of myocarditis, which we've spoken about in previous interviews, here is from the first letter, all the different minutes from um, the technical advisory group in terms of myocarditis and the risk starting on the 11th May, 2021. 
So if this could happen with myocarditis, why can't it happen with the pregnancy data as well? And that's 2021, well before August 2021, when when this was all being really pushed at New Zealanders. Yeah. And before um, Rory died as well. And as we discussed, it was they wouldn't have Rory wouldn't have had that vaccine. He would probably be here now. Rory Nan, the Dunedin plumber who was with his partner going in to get a jab, they they trusted the government's assurance it was safe and effective just so they could book their wedding venue. And as his fiance, who's now without Rory, says, we would never have done it if we'd known the other side of the information. And this is where it gets to now in paragraph 56 under the heading, should the vaccines be independently tested? Well, that Absolutely. question, that question is, <laughs> is answered right away by every responsible You New don't Zealand need to report. be a scientist to better answer that question. Of course it should be tested and have independent testing. We've got Pfizer with these huge fines, some including fraud and corruption. We've got whistleblowers coming forward saying that the falsified data, we now have documents being released that show how dangerous this vaccine potentially is to some people. So of course it should be. Tested independently of Pfizer. And this, this section is shocking. You see the tests that are carried out and on the top left-hand corner of the page, it says one word, Pfizer. It's carried out under the aegis of Pfizer. In other words, Pfizer says, you do the tests. Will they say when negative testing comes back, oh, we don't want that to get out there? Is there that possibility? We don't know for sure, but we do know for sure that Pfizer's had massive fines for acting unethically previously with other Pfizer products, don't we, Kirsten? Absolutely. And also Bloomfield promised us independent testing. Yeah, let's talk about this. This is paragraph 56. In February 2021, prior to the rollout of the vaccine, Ashley Bloomfield stated, quote, the vaccine would be independently tested for quality assurance, which is another important safety check. Now, take us to May 2022, when the Ministry of Health confirmed to you in writing. What did it confirm? The capacity to conduct independent testing of the vaccine does not currently exist in New Zealand. It's, it's, it's just shocking. And Ashley Bloomfield has walked away from his job now, but we, New Zealanders, will remember, and I pray that the next government has people who will call him back in and call him to account for this and many other lies that, that were put up, because that is a lie. If he said the vaccine would be independently tested for quality assurance, and then a year and a half later, they're saying, oh, no, no, it won't. We don't have the facilities. He must have known that. When and he so many said people that. would have gone ahead and had the vaccine on the premise of that, mis um, sorry, it was a representation. It was actually a misrepresentation. But yes, no, it's going to be tested. It's going to be fine. It's going to stay in my shoulder. Just look at all the untruths. And it does raise that, that question. If he lied about that, how much else has he lied about? Uh, the letters are there to back that up. So you can see that under paragraph 56. 57, on 11 March 2022, MedSafe confirmed in response to an OIA request that they rely on Pfizer for the quality specification. So here we go. This is the non-independence of the testing. Explain it a bit further. So Pfizer gets to test its own product. There is no independent testing. 
So Pfizer will send the product into New Zealand and they send with it a certificate of analysis. So we've got a copy of the certificate of analysis, which was provided to Sue Gray by MedSafe with the Ministry of Health. And there were just a couple of interesting factors in there that I'd like to raise, which will go on um, as we go for the interview. It's really important to note that there's an expiration date. So on this certificate, it says the 30th of the 4th, 2022. Also in the first column, which is the registered tests, it talks, it talks about ALC 0315, ALC 0159, which are the two patented products that we don't know what's in. And as I noted earlier, the, the government has confirmed in writing to us that they do not hold material safety data sheets for those two ingredients. We've been to the manufacturer of those ingredients and their website state that is for research purposes. Research, oh not safe, God. research. And that's all set out in my January letter to Parliament. So Parliament is on notice of this. This, I mean, you, your research as a lawyer, you know, your legal skills in bringing all the, this research together. As I keep rereading this letter, I, I just want to stop and praise you, Kirsten, because I don't think I've done that enough as we've pulled this apart, but you, you back it all up and it just makes the case so solidly against trusting Pfizer's reassurances and against trusting our government reassurances. And yet we have under paragraph 57, this statement, the ministry relies on Pfizer as the sponsor for certain assurances and information, which the importer is required to have. For example, this may be certificates of analysis, COA, which detail the test criteria the vaccine needs to meet. So Pfizer is saying its own test criteria. It's which Pfizer is beyond is belief when they've got those fines that no one had to have committed fraud and been fined for fraud. And they've got these whistleblowers coming forward saying that data has been falsified. And Kirsten, what, I mean, every Kiwi needs to say, what do we pay our government for? That what are sure these people even paid for? Yeah. They're paid supposedly to make sure that the people are not hurt, that we're kept safe, that the community runs smoothly. They have not done any of those things. They've they thrown us that we need to be kind. We're a team of five million. Every life matters. Every life, not just the COVID people, every life of New Zealanders matters. Mm. Oh, it's shocking. That that certificate is shocking. And, and as you said before, we go on now to talk about the expiry date. Oh my God, this is paragraph 59. Does the expiry date of the vaccine matter? Well, again, that's sort of a rhetorical question. One would say the expiry date on everything else matters, on our food, on everything else. Why on earth, surely Pfizer wouldn't be advocating that we can ignore their own expiry date. Explain how this illogic works. We're not sure whether Pfizer has put this forward. We presume it probably is Pfizer, but the doctors and the vaccination clinics have received this notice saying, don't worry what's on the bottle, just worry about the date on the box. Um, so what could possibly go wrong? So if people start going, oh, we don't need to worry what's on the bottle, so they get into that habit and there's something goes wrong with the boxes. I mean, yeah. Do Have we had anyone apply for OIA information from this government about why on earth that has come to pass? 
How on not, earth that? Yeah. Not to my knowledge, but that's probably a really good point. We probably should make that OIA. I would really love to see an OIA on that. And we know that OIA's Official Information Act um, requests can take quite a long time at the moment. Very rather suspiciously. Twenty under working the days, but they can be transferred. But this could be easily resolved if just one politician would stand up tomorrow or in the next week. We could have the answer within five working days. So and that's why. And why is that? Just just reiterate that, Kirsten. Why is it so good if our politicians stand up and ask questions? Be, because they have to be answered, don't they? And OIA they have to requests. be answered, and they have to be answered within that five working days. So it's timely. So we can get that answer really, really quickly. So if there's a good explanation for it, more than happy to listen to it. So yeah, if they ask the question, provide me the answer, then we can decide on that point. And again, if people want to write in, if if you're sitting here seething as I am, write in to your local politician and say, I demand that you ask this question and find out why there, there is instruction to say you can overlook the expiry date on the bottle for this jab. Surely that is deeply unsafe. And just remind them that the election's coming up shortly too. Yes. <laughs> at least at least that's something to look forward to in 2023. Reducing serious outcomes is the next headline, paragraph 60. You say the government's claim that the vaccine was 95% effective was either a guess or a lie. And you you back that up. You say because the vaccinated quickly started testing positive for COVID-19. The government quickly rebranded the benefits of the vaccine, claiming instead that the vaccine will reduce hospitalizations for COVID-19. Now it's looking, given the number of people who are jabbed and in hospital, it's looking as if that also was a guess or a lie. What do you think is happening here? Absolutely, it appears from the data that's emerging from overseas and even our own data that it is the vaccinated that are in hospital as well. And then as I go on further into the letter, the definition of being vaccinated is really, really important because it would appear that the data is being manipulated. What do you mean by that, Kirsten? Well, maybe when we get to that section, we'll talk about what's happening overseas. Okay, well, we, we are working through it bit by bit and it is good the wet builds one bit on the next. 61, the government's claim seems suspicious given that the all cause mortality in the initial phase of the Pfizer trial was 30% higher in the vaccinated versus the control group. And that was predominantly due to heart attacks in the treated group. So just explain this paragraph, all cause mortality. So that's all cause um, deaths. So it's not vaccination, it's not COVID, it's all deaths in that period of time. So we've seen over this period of time that all cause is increasing in most countries with these highly vaccinated populations. So then this takes us to 62, uh, a recent analysis of weekly vaccination totals and all cause mortality for the 60 plus age group showed an extra 2000 deaths last year. And then a similar number in the first four months of this year. This is very worrying. What, What are we seeing here? We don't know what we're seeing, so it's up to the government to actually be asking the questions about what's going on. We need to get to the root of this problem. Why are more people dying at the moment? Um, Grant Dixon actually managed to obtain some information under the OIA, and he's used, once again, the government's own figures to look at 
how the vaccination rates and deaths have correlated. Because in New Zealand, we've been very lucky, well, not lucky, but we, in terms of looking at this scientifically, we're protected borders. Um, until recently, we've had really low incidences of COVID. We actually went really well for a couple of years. Um, so now we can actually look at the short-term impacts of the vaccine. And so he's managed to capture that very well. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we're able to look at the vaccine here without it being complicated by cases of COVID. So it really does show up in this country. Yeah, we don't have the co-founding um, factors such as, you know, COVID and people dying from COVID. Yeah. So so this is, this is really concerning because um, th this whole section is looking at the rising excess mortality in New Zealand. We've got in section um, 63, another New Zealand study found a very close relationship between the booster rollout and rising excess mortality. It looked at the aggregate weekly data on excess mortality to study the impacts of rolling out booster doses. And then what did it find here? It found that in the rate of booster rollouts, um, there were approximately 16 excess deaths per 100,000. So that brought about 400 excess deaths from New Zealand's booster rollout to date. This, this is something, the data on this will be just crucial long-term, Kirsten, to keep following. This is where we're going to be able to, in a way, I would say, use the, those who are unjabbed as a control group within this country versus those who are jabbed. We will be able to compare numbers. And this is we're something- we're not going to know this until after time. And it the boosters keep them being rolled out, it's just going to be amplified. So there needs to be an investigation right now. And this is what you're asking the MPs to look at. And it's so concerning every night on our news not to hear in hospital today, there were X number of people who were boosted, who were jabbed, and X number of people who are unjabbed. If we had those numbers, I think we'd see vastly more of the vaccinated in hospital versus the unvaccinated. And, and I don't know why they're hiding that information. Like over in the UK, they're actually quite transparent with those definitions. Um, there are some questions about when a person actually is deemed vaccinated, but they're actually quite open and transparent. And it does appear that the vaccinated are going to hospital and dying. In far greater numbers. And these are important questions. This is what, what we're trying to do here, Kirsten, more than anything is not give information and say this is proven beyond any reasonable doubt. The, the key here is here are question marks all over the place in this rollout in New Zealand. There are question marks. What is going on? Mm. What hasn't been answered? It's not our responsibility to provide the answers. It's the government's responsibility. They need to do their job. That's it. Well, this is really good. Then in 64, you go on paragraph 64, you talk about um, the death rate in the United States. 65, you talk about Edward Dowd, who's an economist. Um, he's analyzed the CDC's records against the excess mortality rates in the United States. And this is a very powerful graph. What is it showing to your mind? It's showing how when different events happen, such as lockdown, early vaccination, boosters, mandates, how the overall cause mortality goes up. So you'll see that on the screen at the moment. And that's also mirroring what we've been told by the insurance companies as well overseas that they're seeing, for some reason, um, a lot more deaths than they would normally see. And we're hearing that also from funeral directors. And, 
And so let's go back to that in 64. I, I'm glad that we sort of set the scene for that because in paragraph 64, you quote the, the CEO of an Indianapolis-based insurance company, One America it's called. Could you read there what he says? We are seeing right now, it begins. Sure. We are seeing right now the highest death rates we have seen in the history of this business, not just at One America, which One America is a $100 billion insurance company. It's not a little player, it's a big player. And it's been going since 1877. So that is alarming, the highest death rates we've ever seen in the history of the insurance business that they've been running since then. And the um, same with Germany as well. We had a one of their executives speak out and he was silenced pretty quickly. So why are we silenced? On that note, Kirsten, I would beg any anybody from any New Zealand insurance company, any funeral director, any coroner in New Zealand with a conscience who wants to whistleblow, please contact me, liz.gun at freenz.org, and we will follow up on what you're seeing because this will help New Zealanders understand. And then we can call the government to account and say, what are your reasons? What are your answers for this? This is what really we're interesting that you said that one of my friends is actually in insurance and one of his longtime clients is a funeral director. So he sent me this message a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had a meeting with a longtime client who is a local funeral director. He said they're under the pump. They would roughly pick up seven deceased up a week on average. They are currently doing five to seven a day. No, and so no. I haven't spoken to the funeral director directly. There is a possibility that my friend isn't telling the truth, but I trust my friend. So I just have to put those around that's, statement. But Kirsten, if that's the case, I, I just beg our New Zealand funeral directors to reach out. And we need you in numbers across the country, backing one another up and saying, look, it's, it's very different. And then again, that raises a series of questions which can be put in letters to be put in parliament by our representatives and, and put to this government. Please help us. We are doing our best. We're doing it on our own time and, and from a love of this country. And we beg you to give us that information. 66, the, the UK Office of National Statistics reported that up to July, 1 July 2022, there were 10,357 deaths registered, and that's 12.2% above the five-year average. Mm -hmm. So it's looking, Kirsten, as if all around the world in highly jabbed countries, these sorts of numbers are showing a consistency of, of big leaps upwards. So what is the cause? Yeah. What, what has happened during this time? And then, of course, this is a painful one as somebody who was in media and once believed that media was all about telling the truth. We have in paragraph 67, a compilation of media headlines listing the new and unusual sudden deaths. <laughs> and you ask this very good question. Is the media being instructed to prepare us all for SADS, sudden adult death syndrome, which we'd never heard of until after this rollout. So tell us about some of those headlines because I had a look at them and it just made me feel sad. If it wasn't so sad, it would actually be funny, the headlines, because they're just 
so ridiculous. I read one the other day that a student died from joy of getting his um, exam results. So he had a heart attack. So they're putting it down to SADS. Um, if you brush your teeth, and yes, there might be some truth to that. If you get really bad um, gum disease, you can die. But it's just all these different causes of SAD and just being bombarded in the media. It hasn't happened so much in New Zealand. We've seen a few incidents, sorry, incidents of um, them referring to SADs, but we generally tend to be a couple of months behind overseas. But in the overseas media, yeah, snow shoveling, sleeping too much, snoring, yep. basically and everything that a human can do. Everything. And then ridiculous things to do with the climate in, in um what climate change cold, could cause as well. Climate change or saying it's too cold in winters or too hot in the hot countries. Just ludicrous. And this is where, you know, the only thing we can do as humans is help one another to say we're not going to listen to these official lies anymore from our politicians, from our corporates, from our um, paid up, bought up propagandists. We now have to help one another to limp our way to the truth. And we need um, those few honourable politicians to read Kirsten's letter and stand up to this government and say what is going on. The next section is definition of vaccinated, to which you referred earlier, and this is a very crucial one as well. Paragraph 68, there are international concerns that those who've been vaccinated and require hospitalisation or die are being classed as unvaccinated due to this very fluid definition. Tell us about this, because I've talked about cynicism before, but this is so cynical, is it not? Absolutely. So the fluid definition allows data to be manipulated so why do they want to manipulate the data in such a deadly pandemic? Um, shouldn't there, I shouldn't say shouldn't, aren't there enough deaths happening anyway? Why would they have to up the death rate to encourage people to get not only the vaccination, but the continuous boosters? I think we're up to number five booster in New Zealand. Sorry, the fifth vaccination, so two vaccinations and three boosters. So some people are going for the fifth shot. And this fluid definition, just explain what that involves, how, how deeply cynical it is. So you might get the vaccination, but you might not be counted as being vaccinated till about two weeks afterwards. So if you would happen to die of SADS during that time, you'd be classed as unvaccinated. So it gets very skewed. And then, of course, those people who had two jabs for summer and then you're done, as she told us a year ago, once the government set time frame ran out, were those people in the two jabs category then classed as unjabbed because they hadn't had the third, the, the, the first booster, the third shot? That is my understanding. It's, it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't reek of ethical behaviour in any way. I mean, that's a vast understatement, but one has to stand up and say, well, that, that's just not right. It's just not right. Especially when they knew in January 2021 that the boosters would be needed as we looked at those documents the other day. So the whole two shots for the summer, people that didn't want to take the vaccine but took it because they felt they were doing the greater good for their community or to keep their jobs, they were never going to win because they're now deemed as being unvaccinated. 
that, I mean, that's just not fair. That's not being kind. And it's, it's, it's got that whole sense of gaslighting. Gaslighting is when you never really know exactly what's coming at you. It's, it's like being in constant trauma, a kind of low level fight or flight or quite a high level fight or flight actually in that limbic part of the brain where you're trying to work out what's logical here, what's trustworthy here. And somebody in control is pretending to be trustworthy, but their words and their actions are not feeling trustworthy. That's, it's such a traumatizing thing to do to a whole population. Mm -hmm. And you, you put it very well in 68. You say, paragraph 68, this undermines the last bastion of the government's narrative, namely that the vaccinated are much less likely to die from their COVID infection. So if you don't have a very clear, crisp de definition of when you're vaccinated, that honors the fact that if you've had two shots, you are a vaccinated person. If you're going to play around with that and say, oh, you're only vaccinated for six months and then you're suddenly not vaccinated, you can't tell what the truth is. So it is deeply undermining. Paragraph 69, you go on to talk about a group of 29 Swedish doctors. Could you tell us about that one? and their freedom of information request. So the freedom of information request is just like how OIA, but a different term for it. So they got some information and it showed that sorry, individuals dying within two weeks of the vaccination had been counted as unvaccinated. Um, and there was also the same 14 day period after the second vaccine. So they found from that little bit of information they had, 900, deaths have been misrepresented as being unvaccinated people dying from COVID-19. So in fact, they were vaccinated, but they, they were put out as unvaccinated and dying from COVID. Because of this time frame. And given that they don't even know how long those spike protein stays in the body, as we've discussed before, how did they get this time frame of 14 days? You know, you know what, Kirsten, I mean, reading this, it's, I don't know how any journalist can read your letter and not hand in their resignation and mainstream and go, I'm going to work for the other side. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to dig deep into the stories and the narratives and the facts that have been clearly hidden. And as for the government's Tepunaha Matatini, the propaganda department, everybody there should resign if they have any humanity in them, because this is clearly spinning. This is spinning. This is PR spin. And it's, it's, it's so shocking to me, but you've, it's so important you've put this together. You then go on to say that, 70, you ask a question, is our government manipulating the numbers in a similar fashion to Sweden? Or, you know, in these other countries, Germany, the UK, you write here, I suspect that the government is manipulating the statistics, given that the Ministry of Health's website states that COVID deaths include all cases of people who died within 28 days of being reported as a COVID-19 case, even where the underlying cause of death may have been unrelated to COVID-19. Elaborate on that. Absolutely. Um, it's something we became aware of very early on in overseas countries that people that were in a car accident had been shot, but tested positive as a COVID-19 case with using the PCR test, which we know so many issues with that PCR test and the threshold. But we even have an example in New Zealand where there was a person that was died of a gunshot wound up in Auckland, and that was counted as a COVID-19 death. So they do and this test on this person who's come in for a completely different reason, 
They say, oh, look, it shows positive with an unreliable test. And you mean it is then recorded finally as that. So why are they trying to push up the numbers? That's I exactly. don't understand in a deadly pandemic. Why would you do that? Why would you try to boost the numbers, falsely elevate <laughs> the numbers? Yeah. <laughs> to get the boosters, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's the macabre laughter, isn't it? Because it's it's so depressing. If you saw this in a sort of Monty Python-esque film, you would think it's it's just darkly humorous, but here it is real life and it's just dark. Well, this is people's lives. It's their income houses. Yeah. And that's the question. Why does the government need to inflate the number of deaths in a deadly pandemic? Could please one of our 120 politicians dig deep into this? Could one of our mainstream media journalists dig into paragraph 70 of Kirsten's letter? Your, your next heading is New Zealanders are being injured as well as dying. Just what you said. Paragraph 71, you say they're being seriously injured by the, by the vaccine. The victims often state they're told privately by doctors that the injuries are due to the vaccine, but those same doctors are then reluctant to record their views in the discharge summaries. This is my experience in talking to many of the injured. They go in, somebody will pull a curtain and say, oh, I'm seeing so many people like you, but don't say anything. And then they might get from a doctor an acknowledgement as well as from the nurse. When they go to check out, there's nothing on their discharge papers about it. Therefore, they can't go to ACC and say, I'm, I'm jab injured. What are you hearing, Kirsten? What's your research? I'm hearing exactly the same. We've got one of the solicitors in NZLSOS who took both vaccines. Um, New Zealand lawyers to... speaking out with science. Yes. We've changed it to New Zealand legal speaking out with science. Mm -hmm. Good. <laughs> um, so he took the vaccine because he wanted to continue to do his work. He's very passionate about his work. He has suffered um, pericarditis. Um, has been in hospital, I think, at least five or six times, got very sick when he got COVID, and the heart issues came up with that as well. Every time he has pushed the doctors, because they'll say, yes, this is from the vaccine, you've got pericarditis from the vaccine, but they're so reluctant to record that in writing. So he's, as a lawyer, it's really been pushing them. But, yeah, it's just what they say behind the curtain and what they're prepared to put on paper Absolutely. It's very different. And I just find that morally wrong. I, I you know, many of many of the people I've spoken to have said, how does Jacinda Ardern sleep at night? But how does a doctor sleep at night? Knowing that what they're looking at is vast numbers of jab injured people and yet saying, well, so that I can keep my high income, I won't speak up. So I can keep my house. It's horrendous. Other people and are losing their house. Other people are losing lives relationships destroyed new zealand's not the place it used to be pre 2020 and i those, want my old new zealand back i want my old new zealand too but those doctors who've done this those nurses who stay silent they will have to live with themselves for you know 10 20 30 50 more years and it's, it will they've still got an opportunity now to come forward because now we've got the pfizer documents and they're being released in the tranches it's undeniable that this vaccine is dangerous. So they should actually feel safe coming out. They're not going to be labelled as a conspiracy theory. Yes, the media will try and do that. But they've actually got 
black and white Pfizer documents mm. to back them up. So please, I I beg them to step forward. Now is the time. And there are so many groups, New Zealand doctors speaking up with science, there's a nurses group, there are midwife groups. There are so many different groups that will support. And frankly, you'll become a hero. I think whistleblowers now will be will become heroes in our future and we'll talk about them in years to come. Those ones who said, I've seen what I've seen. It disgusts me. It's shocking and I need to tell the truth of what's going on in New well, Zealand. Well, the writing's on the wall now. It's only a matter of time. So those whistleblowers will accelerate that time. And so they will be held up as heroes. I agree with you. And then you say here uh, in paragraph 71, several doctors have had their practicing certificates suspended for asking questions about the government's COVID response, including questions about the harm caused by vaccination. And we know one of them, Matt Shelton, who simply wrote to his uh, group of patients, many of whom were young mums and mums planning to, women planning to become mothers, saying, look, I'm not, I'm just not quite sure about the research on this, maybe hold fire. And the medical council went after him and, and made sure he was suspended as a doctor. Which is unbelievable when we've just talked about the information that they have about pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing was he went to the high court and the high court said, yes, you should have your practicing license back. You should be able to practice. And then the medical council immediately suspended him again. What's going on? What sort of country do we live in? It's That's banana republic stuff and yeah. deeply disrespectful to our courts. The medical council should be up before the courts for disrespecting their order. All Matt was trying to do was give his patients informed consent. Mm. And that's what a doctor is meant to do. Like when my son has required medicine, they've often given me pages and pages explaining that you know there could be side effects could include death so that I'm informed and every time he's had um, surgery and we've had over 30 surgeries you're informed of all that information so that's all Matt was trying to do he was being a good doctor yes and informed consent remember says risks here benefits here we can help you look at both and then together we can weigh up you know the risk benefit analysis is it the best thing for you Paragraph 72, the NIH has published a paper on skin reactions following the administration of the vaccine. Can you talk about this? The um, subdermal, so just under the skin, blistering eruptions. This is really important. And yes, you do go on in paragraph 73 to talk about Tony Kringle, whom we interviewed because we were really worried, Kirsten, that her long-term blistering skin reaction from the jab which she knew had come from the jab, um, we were really worried that was going to then be repackaged and sold falsely as a version of monkeypox. So we felt it was crucial to do this interview for two reasons. Tony has suffered so long and has been through so much pain. She said to me it was on a scale out of 10, it was at 12, the pain levels she went through. Her whole body in blisters, nowhere comfortable to sit, lie, her sheets needing changing four to five times a day. Unimaginable suffering I from having the jab. down the inside of her throat as well. Down the esophagus. It was just brutal, all through her gums. I mean, she's just a young woman who wanted to um, get her teaching degree, a solo mum, and make sure her child and she would be safe. And she loved teaching. And this is the price she's paid. That's one of many cases we were also 
we were deeply, deeply affected by her personal circumstances, but deeply worried this would be then propagandized into monkeypox. So what are you hearing about this, the, the skin eruptions? Yeah, I was really interested in Tony's story. Um, here's a young woman that's not in the easiest circumstances. She's not sitting like on the dole. She's actually advancing her career. She's a go-getter. And now she can't even work because she's had this vaccine and suffered this way. So when I think she was interviewed, they thought, I have to try and say this word, Beulis Pemphaloid. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, it's a very, it's a really hard one to pronounce. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to Mexico in another lifetime. This is the thing. We are not pretending to have the answers or be medical or health specialists. We are simply two people with legal training and legal training is all about asking the right questions, mm. having the courage to say this doesn't add up. So, so the yeah. NHI has said that this um, condition, we'll just call it, has been noted after the vaccine. And then when I contacted Tony to ask if I could use that photograph, um, which she allowed me to do, she said that she'd had a new diagnosis. She'd had, this, this is her third diagnosis, um, epidermolysis bullosa acquisita, um, which once again, I apologise. I'm sure doctors are laughing at me at the moment. <laughs> I love how real it is. <laughs> yeah. Sure, one doctor is in particular. Um, <laughs> but that is actually noted as one of the 1,200 conditions in the Pfizer post-marketing material. Wow. So, and I'm really concerned that, like you said, this blistering does look like monkeypox. So is there a possibility that they're going to try and rebrand it as the vaccine injuries as being monkeypox? I don't know the answer to that question. It is a possibility. Um, so I'd like some answers, please. And the and, and the other thing that drops out of that, Kirsten, is this. All of these questions you're asking in this fastidiously researched letter, they, they point human beings in our society now to the truth that you cannot accept the fear-mongering from those in officialdom because they have lost their credibility through this period of the COVID response rollout. They've lost. You, you give trust and you believe in people when they show you that they're worthy of your trust and of your belief in, in their words. And I would strongly say to people, caveat emptor, buyer beware. In other words, beware of anything now that you're being sold. It's up to you. It behoves you to research it or go to good groups like NZDSOS and say, what is this? Can you help us? We know you're trustworthy. NZDSOS are the doctors who've been forced out of practicing medicine because they've questioned certain aspects of this. And the medical council has gone after this group of wonderful Kiwi doctors as they went after Matt Shelton. But they've proven their straps, if you like. They've proven their worth because they are willing to question, as you have here in this letter. Let's go on. The, the documentary is there, Tony, Tony Krengle. 75, you say... Tony's case is one example of how some New Zealanders are suffering after the vaccine. It's beyond disgraceful that the government denies exemptions to people who've suffered an adverse reaction. The official statements in regard to the number of applications for exemptions do not seem to reconcile with what people are saying. It's beyond reasonable doubt 
that the vaccine does not stop infection and transmission. And then that last question, those last two questions, can you, can you read those two out, Kirsten? What has happened to our lawmakers? What type of society are we becoming? Um, I've just heard so many stories of people that have had bad reactions and they've applied for exemptions and been denied. We've all heard the stories of people being told, go to the hospital, they'll have a crash cart, really. Um, I helped two of the port workers down here. They put in for exemptions. Um, they, history of heart attack, everyone had a history of blood clots. We know myocarditis and blood clots are associated with this vaccine. They cannot dispute that because it's in the Pfizer documents. They were declined. And that's where that ghastly... I mean, how can you do this to somebody to put their life on the line for a vaccine that does not stop transmission, does not stop infection? And they knew that in September 2021, that didn't stop transmission. We've got an OIA on that as well. So when they were saying, do this for your whanau, do this for your family, you know, you're protecting them, they knew it wasn't going to protect them. And Why? They knew, and they knew Why? the risks. Why? What sort of country are we now? It's unbearable. And this is where you go to in your conclusion, which is, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of writing. Paragraph 76, the parables of the elephant in the room and the emperor with no clothes, both speak to cast in stone elements of the human psyche. You read the next question. Why do humans see the naked emperor as anything but exposed? As anything but exposed. The emperor is naked on this. Read that story. If people don't know it, do you want to explain what you're alluding to there? It's a childhood storybook um, story where the emperor would parade around saying that he had all these new clothes because the dressmaker was saying he was making these beautiful clothes for him. Mm. So he paraded around and all the crowds would say, wow, you look amazing in your silk. You know, what wonderful clothes you have. Until finally somebody actually went, the emperor has no clothes, he's naked. Um, and he realised he'd been duped by the, by the dressmaker who with flattery had said only the most intelligent people will be able to see the clothes. So everyone was too scared to stand up and say the emperor is naked because they didn't want to look unintelligent. It's a, it's a parable. I wonder what's so happening in the emergency departments, like the doctors. Yes. They must know something's going on. Whether it's the vaccine or not, something is going on. They must. And it's a parable about social manipulation. It's mm. a story for all children to understand. Be real. Be real, all of us. And if you really feel this isn't right, stand up now. Don't go for the, the line, the narrative, the government narrative, the one truth, the single source of truth, or the media manipulated, bullying narrative. Stand up and say, I don't care what any of you say. For me, this is no longer right. It doesn't add up. It's a really important parable to read. Can you read 77 to us, your conclusion? The giant elephant of denial, along with the unpleasant and inconvenient truths, are politically damaging and easy to ignore. However, 
you cannot ignore the truth that the vaccine does not stop transmission and infection and seem to have made the situation worse. Pfizer's own documents are testament to the harm that the vaccine can cause. Each booster amplifies the known and potential risks of harm, including death. And I think for me, that last line is the most poignant. I try to say to friends who I, I care about all Kiwis, but there are some who don't want to listen, but those who will, I say, please, if, even if you've had the two, please don't go on and have more. Please don't do any more assault on your immune system. Please realize this whole thing is still in its experimental phase. It's still being rolled out as part of the let's gather the data. This is not something that, that we can put in our bodies and say it's 100% safe anymore. The government has lied to us and still people don't want to hear it. But your letter offers the research that so many people will be grateful to read so that they can be armed going out and say, no, there are too many question marks over this. And, and the second thing. Potentially the media might have a field day with me as well. I might be labelled a conspiracy theorist, you know, spreading misinformation. And that's absolutely fine because all I'm doing is asking questions. And I invite Jacinda to meet with me. I would love to sit down with her and go through this information. And if she's not willing to do that, then the media should be asking, why not? That's brilliant, Kirsten. Jacinda Ardern, if you would... If you would have a discussion with Kirsten, we will set up a studio space. I would be happy to mediate it with absolute neutrality to give you a voice, to give you an equal voice, equal airtime with Kirsten. And these questions can be put, and that will put so many of our minds at rest. If you can answer these questions one by one, please. If you've got, if you've got the answers, please provide them to me. I'm more than willing to listen to the explanation. That's brilliant. Paragraph 78, the government has deliberately, or perhaps under duress from Big Pharma, put barriers in place to prevent the true safety data from being collected. The government's ignored the fact that scientific integrity was lost when Pfizer deviated from the randomized control trial, thereby obliterating long-term safety data. And the question here is why. That is for all our politicians to ask why, paragraph 78. 79, could you read this one out? It would appear that New Zealand is suffering after ignoring the warning that mass vaccination with a non-sterilizing vaccines on the background of high infectious pressure would be devastating. Sadly, vaccinated New Zealanders are at risk of vaccine-associated enhanced disease after doing what they thought was the right thing for the greater good. So just to explain that bit, bit, mass vaccination was non-sterilizing vaccines on a background of high infectious pressure. That's what we alluded to, I think, in the third of yeah, these of this four, yeah. four parts. We've really And it's something that was known to MedSafe. Um, it's in all their documents. We discussed that in interview three, that that was a risk that they acknowledged. It was an uncertainty. And also vaccine-associated enhanced disease was also a risk that they acknowledged. So we're not making this stuff up. You can go back to part three. You can also read Kirsten's letter and, and you will see this uh, explained there. Paragraph 80, I've reviewed many of the New Zealand doctors speaking out with science letters to governments and regulators. 
I've consulted widely. I've undertaken a vast amount of research, as we know from you, Kirsten. And the doctor's concerns, the NZDSOS concerns, are very real. An independent investigation into the true impact of the vaccine should be undertaken immediately. We need to know the safest course for ourselves and our families. Now, that is the key, isn't it? 80. That, what else would you like to see drop out of this interview, out of, out of this letter? What would you love to see as the result of all this work you've done? That there is an investigation because the media will just keep, they're only presenting one side of the story. I have probably had contact with three different journalists over the last year. They won't even listen. I've been called all sorts of names, which I was really surprised because I thought often journalists become lawyers and often lawyers become journalists because we have curious brains and we're always meant to look at both sides and then evaluate and come to a conclusion. But I've just been shut down, um, yeah, and verbally abused actually, mm. which I don't understand why. The why horror. can't they just look at a different side of the story? Yeah, the horrors of name calling. The minute someone starts name calling instead of dealing with the facts I'm putting to them, mm. a I know their case is very weak, and b I know that they they're scared. They're scared to get into something on the substance. So they go to the cheap shots, the, the name calling, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're a you're a, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're mad, you're insane, all of those things. They just go past my ears now because that's okay though, because um when you grow up with red hair, you grow up pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> <Internet parrot talk>. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing yeah. is, you like me want to discuss the facts that we've looked into. That's that's all you're looking for, Kirsten. I would it? love to sit down with the media and actually have a healthy debate. We can have the government's um, scientists. We can have Susie. We can have Michael. We can have some of the independent scientists. Let's, let's sit down and have, and like in the old days, they used to have those great political debates, which my dad always used to make me watch, yes. um, which I thought was boring at the time, but I'm glad he did it. Let's have a proper debate. Yeah. I would just love to see the politicians fronting up to really good media people cross-examining them and Mm. fearlessly so and not sucking up to them and and looking scared. I mean, Ryan Bridge is revered by a lot of people because at least on that breakfast show he does, he does ask some tough questions. A group of friends were saying the other day, he's the only one they can see on mainstream media who at least pushes Jacinda Ardern a bit. And she Mm. looks very cross when he does, but he persists and he's a bit of a hero to many. But that should be widespread in our mainstream media. They're meant to be the fourth estate. Absolutely. Yeah. Not brought up. And this is, you know, this is something you say in 81. There's been a coup against conscientious medicine. And you write, I struggle to comprehend how any vaccine administrator could claim that informed consent has been obtained from patients. All they can claim is that they've followed the government's guidelines, which are biased and incorrect. You then write, I and others have spoken to many in the health system about what they're seeing. Many are afraid to speak out for fear of losing their jobs and their income. Other healthcare workers are despondent as they ask, what can we do? All right, let's go with that. Your advice to those in the health professions who are saying what can we do no it's not right what can we do what can they do Kirsten and then what can the parliamentarians 
to whom you address this letter do? Let's end. I understand where they're coming from because lots of these people aren't at the top of management in the hospitals. So they've tried and been stonewalled as well. And they've got that fear. They can actually send this letter to their politicians. They can actually go and see their politicians and have a confidential conversation with their politicians and say, I'm working an emergency. This is what I'm seeing. So they need to be doing that. They don't need to be on an interview like I am at the moment. That takes time to get the bravery and the courage to do this. We might find some are willing to step up. But, yeah, have those conversations with the politicians. Put them on notice that there is a problem. I think that's brilliant advice. Write out from Kirsten's letter some of the things that jump out at you from what you've seen. Write out these questions. Gather the research from this letter. Amplify it with your own obs, with your own observations in the hospitals. You will be powerful. Make file notes about what you said to the politician and they said to you. Who knows, as part of an historical record in future years, you'll go back to those notes and you could be a very important witness in a future inquiry. But take the personal steps. And if you want to speak to me, you can do it anonymously. We can put images on the screen. We can change your name and your voice. Any whistleblowers are welcome. What's your advice, Kirsten, to finish to the parliamentarians for whom you spent these hours slaving over your computer screen writing these letters? Um, It's time to be courageous. The writing is on the wall. It's only a matter of time now. So we need you to be brave. We need you to be leaders of our communities. That is why you probably went into politics. You wanted to be a leader. You wanted to change the future of New Zealand. Well, the future of New Zealand has been changed over the last couple of years, but there's still time for us to take New Zealand back. It's been changed in the very wrong way. And we need you to earn your money, frankly. For me, it's you've taken a lot of money from us, the taxpayers, and you haven't been transparent. You didn't stand up and meet the people in the Freedom Village and hear the concerns and the cries of those mandated out of work, of those losing their homes, of those jab injured. You didn't come down and talk to them. You can earn your money now. As Kirsten said earlier tonight, it's never too late. It's never too late. Politicians have done this before, Winston with the wine box inquiry. Mm -hmm. I mean, that couldn't have been easy for him. He was brave. He was courageous. And if he's listening to this, please, I ask you, Winston. I mean, you're a lawyer. You've got a really good brain on you. You're a courageous man. And I'm happy to talk to you. Kirsten, thank you so much. Thank you on behalf of all Kiwis who I believe in their thousands now will read your letter, go through it with a fine-tooth comb, and I believe also will follow up with their versions of their letters to their parliamentarians. So this can grow, this can snowball down the mountainside. And it's a beautiful snowball that you start. It's an avalanche of truth that you're setting at the top of the mountain for us all to follow. Thank you so much for your time, Liz. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be in touch with my next project, which is underway. (laughs) Can you give us an indicator of what it is? It will be based on the OIAs that we have and just exposing more lies. So the project is called The Tyranny of Lies. Kirsten Murphy, your work is invaluable. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Liz. Write out from Kirsten's letter a list of the questions that really jump out at you and write to your local politician with that list. Ring them up, say I want to meet you. 
write to the media and say, I'd like to meet this reporter or that reporter, a Herald reporter, say, can I meet with you? Look, I've got a list of questions. You can get so much information, glean so much from Kirsten's letter.